Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. morning. I'm Joe Ziz. I'm not one of the pastors here. It's my privilege to serve as an elder here at Quad City. Uh, I lead over at UCYC, which is the camp where we send all of our elementary and junior high kids. Uh, Some of you might recognize me a couple months back. Our lead pastor, Jason, had a little spill. Um, Unfortunately, I was able to catch him before he hit the deck. So Again, maybe you just recognize me as that big bald guy that caught Jason. Uh, I know a lot of preachers as as a kind of the nature of my role at UCYC. I think we can all agree that Jason is uniquely gifted. In fact, he's the only preacher I know who's ever fallen asleep during his own message. So quick uh, housekeeping They wanted me to just remind you, in case you forgot or in case you hadn't heard yet, this week, Wednesday, Thursday uh, nights, both, whichever one works best for you, we're going to have a vision night. This event is for the whole family. Feel free to bring your kids, students. We'll have programming for them as well. Uh, We just want to worship with you and share with you some exciting news and where Quad City is headed soon. So you you don't want to miss out on that. Tell me how many of you have enjoyed hearing from the different pastors on our team over the last seven weeks? Yeah. So we wind that series down today, uh, our uh, spiritual disciplines variety pack. This morning is the last installment in that series. And then Jason will be back next week. So Again, not a pastor, and if this sermon stinks, please, this is your first Sunday. Don't judge us by today. Jason will be back next week, and we'll be ready to rock and roll. Let me pray, and we'll jump in. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of being in community. Thank you for your church in all of her beauty and splendor and even her flaws. Father, I pray that you are honored by the gathering of your children here today. We came together to listen. So would you speak, Lord, like only you can? Tune our ear to your voice so that we might hear you clearly. Would you turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience all the fullness that you have for us? And God, it's to that end 
that I ask you to stand in my body and speak with my vocal cords, think with my mind, the, the things that you would have us to say, no and do. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Lord, you are my strength, my redeemer. Receive the glory you deserve in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, over the past several weeks, we've been talking about spiritual disciplines. So far, we've talked about fasting and serving, about Bible intake and meditation, about confession and Sabbath. And last week, we heard from Jay Greer as he preached on prayer. It makes sense that a church whose mission is making more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always, that we would want to teach about the practices or the disciplines of Jesus' disciples. A couple of our pastors have made reference to author and pastor John Mark Comer, and I think he sums up the definition of a disciple of Jesus very clearly and concisely when he says this. He says, put simply, to be a disciple of Jesus is to organize your life around three basic goals. Here they are. So disciples of Jesus want to be with Jesus. They want to become like Jesus, and they want to do what Jesus would do if he were in our shoes, right? So just because, again, I'm a camp guy, and we have a little bit more interaction uh, at camp between whoever's on stage and whoever's uh, sitting in the room, I want to do this. Just have a little fun. The only rule here, I just have, I just have one, is that you can only raise your hand once, okay? So uh, no, no uh, multiple options here. But, but tell me, when you, when you look at these three goals, which goal, take a, take a moment here and think about this, which goal do you think is the most important? They're all important. I think we can agree on that. But which one do you think is most important? And if you think that number one, to be with Jesus is most important, just go ahead and raise your hands right now. Okay, so we got a few in the room. That's the, that's the most important, be with Jesus. Two, become like Jesus. If that's the one you think is the most important, go ahead and raise your hand. Maybe just a few more hands that I see there. And then number three, if, if three is the most important, to do what Jesus would do if Jesus were you, go ahead and raise your hands now. And that's probably the, the, the most. Okay, great. Thanks for playing. Uh, let me be clear. I believe that every one of these is important. I think this morning, what we're going to focus on is, is what I believe is the most important one, and that is actually to be with Jesus. And logically, I think I could simply make the case like this, right? The more I'm with Jesus the more I naturally will become like Jesus. The more I become like Jesus, the more I would do what Jesus would do if he were in my shoes. And so they kind of build on each other in that regard. I actually think that these two, to become like Jesus and to do what Jesus would do if he were in our shoes, those are actually the byproduct of being with Jesus. So I think, I think that that one is uh, most important. However, the problem, right, is that no matter how much I want to be with Jesus, no matter how much I become like Jesus and do what Jesus would do, for some reason, in one moment, it seems like I can look like Jesus doing what he would do, and suddenly, in an instant, I don't look like Jesus at all. I don't know if that resonates with with anyone or not, but I hope I'm not the, the only one. Let me share an example. I can come to church on Sunday morning. I can 
pray for you at the back of the room. I, I can serve communion to you. I, I, can, I can go help with the kids in the back during the service. And look, like they even let me up here on stage. I get to preach the message, right? Like I'm feeling good. I look like Jesus. And then afterwards, I, I go get in my truck. I get ready to head home. And even while we're still in the parking lot, if you, if you cut me off, I'm like, oh, please, go first. And then we get a couple blocks away and all bets are off, right? And we're driving and, and you know, you, you swerve in front of me or you go through the double yellow lines because you got to beat me to Applebee's, right? And in that next moment, I don't look like Jesus. You ever experienced that? How about this one? I sit down, I take a moment to just write a note to my wife because although, you know, words of affirmation don't necessarily come easily or naturally to me, I know how much it means to her. And so I'm, I'm, I'm writing a note and just, just expressing my gratitude and, and then I leave it somewhere. I know where she's going to find it and I'm feeling good, right? about how much more I look like Jesus than I used to. And then I grab my phone. And I know I shouldn't, but I, I, I decide anyway to just catch up on social media. What's everybody up to, right? And, and sure enough, somebody's posted something and I just, you know, like I'm lured into this nonsensical debate or, or I can't help myself because I just have to make the world a better place, right, in this moment. I, I, I got to confront the, the injustice or the lack of critical thinking, the ignorance. And I'm typing away, right? And, and for a split second, I think, maybe I just better not respond. And then I click on that little blue airplane of deep satisfaction followed by immense regret. And I wonder, why, why is it that in one moment, I can look so much like Jesus doing what he would do in my shoes. And in another, I'm just Joe the impulsive schmuck. I, I, I know I'm a disciple of Jesus. I know that I'm more like Jesus today than when I began to actively follow him some 25 years ago. What, why is it that my attention can so easily shift away from him, away from being with him, away from becoming like him, and away from doing the things he would do if he were in my shoes. It's almost like we live in this world that's like secretly structured somehow in such a way that there's an active strategy to just pull us away from Jesus and toward anything else, right? How many of you have ever experienced this? You're, you're sitting in whatever room in your house has the biggest TV and, and right, TV's on, and yet simultaneously you're scrolling the news on your tablet and then you're responding to a text on your phone when your smartwatch notifies you it's time to stand up. <laughs> We've got a few distractions, right? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you're, you're anti-technology. You live off the grid, right? But still, you're here this morning, and, and, and even in this service, right, somebody gets up and they brush past you. Uh, somebody's next to you slurping their communion a little louder than you think is appropriate. Uh, <laughs> You know, don't point to them, please. Uh, you're, you're singing, you're praising God, you're really getting in to, to the music and the worship, and suddenly somebody like 
one row, two rows behind you is also getting into it. And you know that it sounds sweet to Jesus, but not so much to you, right? Like we are surrounded by distractions. And then Henry Nouwen comes along and he drops this little hand grenade in our lap and says, without solitude, aka like intentional removal from distractions, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. And then he goes on to say, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and listen to him. Be with God. I don't know what your reaction to to this quote is, but let me share mine. Two things. One is that I think it sounds and looks a lot like Jesus. And two is that this line haunts me. It haunts me. Let me tell you why. Throughout the gospel accounts, we see Jesus over and over again, consistently practicing and modeling silence and solitude as a part of his regular rhythm, his, his, his way of life. And in fact, his ministry began in silence and solitude. Matthew tells us at the end of chapter 3, he says that John uh, is baptizing Jesus, right? That the Spirit of God descends like a dove on him, lands on Jesus. Voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And and then what does Jesus do? He, He goes to the desert for 40 days. Spend time alone in the presence with his father. And Josh talked to us about this in the very first week of this series when he's talking about fasting. And he he says, right, that uh, Jesus was actually not at his weakest point because after 40 days of silence and solitude, he was at his strongest point. He was ready for the temptations of Jesus. And ultimately, of course, he overcame those. And, and then what happens next is Jesus goes into Galilee, he begins to preach, and, and he calls his first disciples to follow him. Now, we're going to jump from Matthew to Mark, and Mark is really where we're going to spend some some time this morning because because Matthew does a great job of capturing the teachings of Jesus, but we want to zero in more on the the actions of Jesus, right? Like, again, what would he do if he was in our shoes? Just a little disclaimer. We're going to take a look at one day in the life of Jesus' ministry in in the first chapter of Mark. And I got to tell you, like, it's an exhausting day. And by the time we get through the scripture, just that that illustrates that one day, you might be kind of feeling that. Stick with me. It'll be worth it. Here we go. Mark 1, 21 to 22 is where we're going to start. They, they being Jesus and his disciples. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. As I was preparing this message, I said, please, dear God, don't let this happen. Can you imagine what what the people must have felt? 
what they must have been thinking in that moment, the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogues, we're on the same day here, right? They went with James and John to the home of Simon, who we now know as Peter, and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, same day, the people brought to Jesus all of the sick and demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now I'm trying to imagine Jesus before he begins this day of ministry. And I don't really picture Jesus as a, as a checklist, as a to-do list kind of guy, right? But let's just imagine for a minute that he was. And, and imagine him like compiling his, his list of things to do for the day. And, and we'll call it his eight goals for the day. So here it is, right? All right, this morning, I'm going to travel to Capernaum. I'm gonna teach in the synagogue and stun them with my authority. I'm gonna drive out a demon. I'm gonna to go to Peter's house where I will heal Peter's mother-in-law and hopefully grab a quick meal. Welcome the entire town of Capernaum to Peter's house. Historians uh, say that it was probably about 1,500 people, just a small party, right? Uh, then heal all of the ill people throughout Galilee. So now we're talking bigger than Capernaum, the whole region of Galilee. I'm gonna heal everybody. And remember, the scripture said that news traveled fast. So there were a lot, right? And, and then I'm gonna drive out demons from anyone who shows up at Peter's house possessed. That's one day in, in the life of Jesus' ministry. And I don't know about you, but I look at that list and I'm like, that's absurdly ambitious. I mean, I think of myself as pretty driven, right? Like an achiever. And I'm like, if I, if I took the three easiest things on this list, I could probably justify taking the next day off, right? Like spend it at the pool, catch up on whatever show on Netflix, right? What, what do you suppose Jesus did? Mark tells us very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Remember, he had just spent 40 days in the desert, and then he spends a day in ministry filled to the brim, right, with people, people of all kinds, right, and flavors. And, and so then what does he do? He returns again to the quiet place. And you see, you see what Jesus is doing here? You see how he, he begins to quickly implement this rhythm in ministry. If we were to continue on in Mark 1, and I'll just summarize it here for you. Peter goes out, he finds Jesus, and he says to him, everyone's looking for you, which I translate as Peter speak for, dude, you're kind of a big deal now, right? Like, like you're, you're famous. What are you doing hiding out here? We got to get you back to the crowds. And Jesus responds to him and he says this. He says, let's go somewhere else. To some of the nearby villages, which I also translate as Jesus speak for, no, I'm, I'm not interested in fame. 
I'm here to serve and to save people. So Jesus leaves and he continues to preach and drive out demons and, and he heals a leper and he tells the leper, just, just keep it to yourself, okay? Keep it, keep it on the down low. But of course the leper goes out and he tells everyone he knows because a few moments in the presence of Jesus transforms his life forever, right? And this is what happens as a result of him going out and sharing after, Peter's, or after Jesus has asked him not to. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. And yet the people still came to him from everywhere. So Jesus' fame shot up literally overnight. And, and so now he stays on the outside of the towns and the villages in the lonely or, or also translated as the quiet places. Because silence and solitude is a rhythm of Jesus. If we want to be with Jesus, we've got to go where Jesus is. Where will we find him? In quiet and lonely places, in the silence and in the solitude. We see Jesus regularly withdrawing from crowds and intentionally and deliberately choosing silence and solitude as a part of his regular rhythm. And we can't read any of the Gospels without seeing Jesus intentionally choosing to sit in quiet places, in the presence of God, away from people. And and again, right, we remember Jesus was busier than any of us He's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing and he's driving out demons. And yet still he deliberately and intentionally prioritizes quiet time alone away from the crowds. I really appreciate how Luke catches the cadence of Jesus' rhythm. Each day in Luke 21, 37, each day Jesus was teaching at the temple and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. Later in Luke 22, verse 39, Jesus went out as usual, or also translated as, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. Silence and solitude is a daily rhythm for Jesus. And if we want to do what Jesus would do, we have to prioritize creating space and time for silence and solitude to simply sit in the presence of Jesus. And and his disciples, those closest to him, right? The ones who were becoming more like him, they followed him. Of course, because Jesus' disciples want to be with him. Quarantined lepers, right? These are the pariahs of society. And they're healed and they're liberated from their isolation and they're returned to community. The demon-possessed are freed from captivity. Greedy tax collectors like Zacchaeus, right, are suddenly become generous. Even sick mothers-in-law get up and make meals. Sorry, no bias there. When people spend time with Jesus, they are transformed forever by a few moments 
in his presence. Luke also tells us about when Peter and John, after after the death of Jesus, after the resurrection, after Jesus ascends to heaven, Peter and John are preaching and they're healing and they're taken a task by the Sanhedrin, right? The religious authorities of that time. They're taken a task by the high court because they dare to heal and teach in the name of Jesus. And Peter doesn't hold back as he tells them that salvation is found in no other name under heaven except for the name of Jesus. And note how these religious leaders respond Luke says this in the book of Acts, Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Even more impressive than any of the behavioral transformations that we see, more important than any of the personality shifts that occur, we learn that Jesus didn't come to make obscure people famous. Jesus didn't come even to make bad people good. Jesus came and dead people that were in the presence of Jesus came to life. So then if that's true, and and in scripture, it certainly seems to be over and over again, here's why Henry Nouwen's quote haunts me. Why is it so hard for me, for us, to set aside five to 10 minutes to just simply sit in the presence of Jesus. We know that's true. Why is it so hard? And you say, shoot, I spend an hour in the presence of Jesus every week. I mean, I'm here this morning, aren't I? Two things. One, Jason is my friend, my brother. I love him. He's not Jesus. Two, he's not quiet. So why is it so hard for us to prioritize time daily to sit in silence and solitude when Jesus clearly made a point to do so? And I think the truth is that we can't choose silence and solitude without facing some resistance. And and usually, typically, resistance comes for us in the form of distractions. Jesus faced resistance from his best friend, Peter. Dude, you're famous, right? He faced resistance from the people when they went and told everyone about what he had done. Jesus' closest disciples also faced this kind of resistance, resistance in the form of distractions. Mary and Martha, think Mary and Martha for a moment with me. Two two women who who are thought of as, as the two most important and prominent women in Jesus' life, aside from his mom, of course. Remember the story? Luke 10, 40. But Martha, who, who was great at serving people, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister, I'm not going to call her Mary right now because that brings her humanity back. My sister has left me to do the work all by myself. Tell her to help me. In that moment, right, Martha was so distracted by the details around her service that she lost sight of why serving was important in the first place. And she allowed her distraction to lead her away from Jesus, away from being with 
Jesus and toward becoming defensive and demanding and self-righteous. Another example is Peter. Peter's on the boat with uh, the other disciples in the middle of the lake. Waves are crashing against the boat, and suddenly they see Jesus walking on the water, and they're terrified. They think it's a ghost. And, and the disciples hear Jesus say to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And what Peter says next is just awesome. I, I love Peter, I love Peter because he's just so dang unpredictable and unconventional. Check it out. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. All of the things that Peter could have asked Jesus to do to prove it was him. And he says, tell me to come to you on the water. Like, Jesus, drop a, drop a fresh hot pizza in my lap. No, that's not Peter. Peter likes to do things the hard way. And so what does Jesus say? One word, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried, Lord, save me. As Peter is walking on the water in the presence of Jesus, and he's still distracted. Jesus faced resistance. Jesus' disciples faced resistance. So so we're going to experience some resistance. And resistance doesn't necessarily mean that we're doing it wrong. Now, people, I'm crazy. I'm crazy. I like to to refer to it as unconventional. Uh, But it's also probably why I love Peter so much. And and he just makes me laugh. But I'm crazy. I wake up at 3 in the morning. And I'll just try to sit in silence. And I know, I'm telling you, I'm crazy. But also I have six kids, which is part of why I'm crazy. And, and also, when am I going to find silence, right? I mean, like I totally resonate with why Jesus got up very early in the morning. But there I am, I'm, I'm in my living room, my dimly lit, quiet living room, and I'm just trying to listen for the voice of God. When all of a sudden, to-do list starts to, form in my mind, right? And, and then, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm just here to sit in the presence of Jesus. God, forgive me. Like, and I stop thinking about my to-do list and, and I sit in the silence again. And then I remember, oh, new podcast dropped. You know, that podcast has pastors talking about Jesus. That's basically like sitting in the presence of Jesus, right? Like, no, stop, 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 stop. I can listen to the podcast later. Like, I'm just going to sit here with you, Jesus. And I'm reminded we have an elders meeting next week, and I forgot to send out the agenda. Oh, for the love, right? And also it's 3 a.m., so I probably have time, right? So just in camp ministry projects and plans that are falling through and all of these things, right, just seem to get at 3 in the morning, right? Like who's Anyway, we need to expect resistance, It's going to come. When we choose to do what Jesus did, when we choose to engage in silence and solitude in our effort to simply be with Jesus, we're going to be distracted. But here's the thing. I don't think that we're expected to choose silence and solitude perfectly. I just think we're expected to choose silence and solitude faithfully. I think we'll show up and we'll stumble and we'll mentally wander. And the point isn't to be perfect. It's just to be faithful. It's just to be with Jesus. And so 
We want to sit with Jesus alone for a while in the silence, preferably before we start praying. Because if, if prayer is a conversation with God, that's a conversation I don't want to dominate. And Jay Greer t- talked to us about this last week. He said, right, prayer is not actually listening to God. And I think he's right. I think prayer is talking to God. But I think silence and solitude is the environment that Jesus demonstrates is essential for healthy prayer. And so that's where we want to start. Author James Clear, he wrote a fantastic book. It's called Atomic Habits. I highly recommend it. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus. It just has to do with habits. But in it, he says this, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. Great quote. I could talk about it for a long time. It's just with that in mind that I want to share a simple and practical system that has served to help me begin to prioritize being with Jesus. And I promise it doesn't include you getting up at 3 a.m. So here's, here's, here's the practical system to prioritize being with Jesus. Number one, you want to pick a place, right? Jesus loved to go to the mountain for silence and solitude. You live there. How great is that? So, so more specifically, though, pick a place that has the least number of external distractions. Maybe don't pick the chair that faces the TV and sits next to the remote. Maybe don't pick the chair where you do your greatest work, right? Just pick a space where, where you know, there's still going to be some distractions because you're sitting there, but, but also be intentional about eliminating some of those distractions. Pick a place. Number two. Pick a time. Again, you don't have to be crazy like me and pick 3 a.m. In fact, most of you probably shouldn't. But pick a time that makes the most sense and then protect that time. You don't even have to get crazy and block out a whole hour on your calendar just because that's the Google default. Just if you're starting out, shoot for five minutes, shoot for 10 minutes. And and if if you sit down for five or 10 minutes and all you get is, Uh, like a quality two minutes in the presence of Jesus? Praise God, two minutes in the presence of Jesus is a lot better than no minutes, right? So pick a time, protect that time. Number three, remind yourself why you're there. I'm simply here, Jesus, to sit in your presence. I'm simply here to listen to your word. Remind yourself why you're there. Number four, remind yourself whom you're with. So I I think a couple, like I'm really a visual guy. Like My wife will read things to me sometimes, and I'm like, you can read this to me, or you can let me read it, and I'll actually retain what it says. Uh, And sometimes she just wants to read it to me, and that's okay. But I'm so visual that I just, I like to picture Jesus when I'm trying to sit in his presence, because obviously he's not physically sitting next to me, even though I know he's there, right? And so I I visualize Jesus. He liked to go to the mountains, right? I'm I'm assuming he would sit by a campfire. I like to picture Jesus sitting by a campfire. Maybe it's because I'm a camp guy, but, and I'm just invited to sit at the campfire with Jesus. I also really appreciate what Jay said last week when he shared Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16. And he was talking about, right, uh, 
this whole idea of what Jesus has done in creating access for us to approach the throne of God. And when I picture prayer as the throne room of God, it's a lot easier for me to not mentally wander, to revere God as I'm sitting with him. But I think another picture that's really helpful for me is just Jesus as the good shepherd, right? Like when I begin to mentally wander, and I do every single time. And when I do that, I remember that the good shepherd is not surprised by that. He's not caught off guard by that. And he stays with me, but also I I listen for his voice and I return, right? And I come back and I sit with him. So remind yourself whom you're with. And number five, just do it. Josh said this in in week one of this series as he was talking about fasting. And and it really resonated with me because sometimes I just can get in my head, right? And, And so stop overthinking it. Stop beating yourself up over the fact that you're not doing it perfectly at first and just do it because it's better to stumble toward Jesus than it is to actively run from him. So let's try and be with Jesus and let's choose silence and solitude like he did. Gracious Father, we are so distracted so uh, often by so many things and you are, you are the good shepherd. Jesus, guide us back to you that we may listen, we may hear your voice and that we may do what honors you. We earnestly desire to sit in your presence. Help us to choose the blessing of silence and solitude with you, knowing and trusting that a few minutes in your presence changes everything. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.